This is episode 186 of That Shakespeare Life. Our show this week is brought to you by our members here at That Shakespeare Life, who not only submit topic suggestions and questions to be asked directly to our guests on the show, but members get exclusive access to our video streaming library and printable Shakespeare resources like worksheets, lesson plans, and more. Explore all the benefits of becoming a member and sign up today at castycash.com slash member. And stay tuned after the episode for even more details. Hi, I'm Stephen White, an archaeologist at Archaeology Southeast, UCL. Another great method for studying the life of William Shakespeare includes listening to this. It's That Shakespeare Life with my friend, Casty Cash. In the morning, it says there happened about eight of the clock in Avon, such a sudden flood as carried away all the hay about. So all the, the hay that was in the, the fields around it, uh, in the bales and so on, which was taken away for a start. It's interesting that the, this is the first thing they mention in the, the documentation of the account. The hay's gone. <laughs> what are we going to do without the hay? And did much harm, it says. It was higher than ever it was known by a yard and a half and something more. Welcome to That Shakespeare Life with Cassidy Cash. Cassidy believes that if you desire to successfully learn or perform Shakespeare's plays, then understanding the real life and history of William Shakespeare himself is a must. That Shakespeare Life is the podcast that helps you go beyond the curtain of some of Shakespeare's most iconic works and explore the world of early modern England as Shakespeare would have lived it, learning from the writers, historians, and performers who know it best. And now, here's Cassidy. In 1588, William Shakespeare turned 24 years old. This year is part of what we call Shakespeare's lost years because we don't know precisely what Shakespeare was doing at this time. Many speculations have been made that Shakespeare hopped a ride with one of the touring companies that visited his hometown of Stratford-upon-Avon to make his fortune in London. Of course, the details are not known for sure, but our guest this week brings new evidence to the discussion by investigating one major flood event that struck Stratford-upon-Avon in 1588. Prior to this significant disaster, Shakespeare's hometown was a major stop on the route of traveling plane companies across England. After this disaster, the town seems to drop off the itinerary, leading some to speculate that the damage and subsequent fall from its status as a tour destination may have played a role in William Shakespeare leaving for London. This week, we welcome our guest, Laurie Johnson, to the show to share his research into the flood of 1588 to tell us what may have happened to the town of Stratford-upon-Avon and how that could have led to the departure of the Bard. Laurie Johnson is Professor of English and Cultural Studies at the University of Southern Queensland, Australia. He is the current president of the Australian and New Zealand Shakespeare Association and a member of the editorial board of the journal Shakespeare. Laurie's books include Shakespeare's Lost Playhouse, 11 Days at Newington Butts, The Train of Hamlet, and The Wolfman's Burden. And he is co-editor of two essay collections, Embodied Cognition and Shakespeare's Theater, The Early Modern Body Mind, and Wrapped in Secret Studies, Emerging Shakespeare's. He has also published over 50 articles and book chapters and is currently working on a book on the Earl of Leicester's men, which he hopes to complete later this year and is developing an international project to examine the impact of climate shift in 16th century Britain on the rise of the playhouse industry. Hello, Laurie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Cassidy. 
Laurie's research investigates a flood that took place in Stratford-upon-Avon in 1588 when Shakespeare was 24 years old. Laurie, how did you find out about this flood? Uh, well, Cassidy, I was uh, fortunate enough to be on a um, research fellowship at the Folger Shakespeare Library back in 2019. I was researching, which is effectively the answer to the what's next for me question at the end of this um, interview, researching evidence of climate events in England in the 16th century that could be potentially indicators of the impact of weather on the rise of the playhouses. And one of the, the volumes of, of works in the Folger Shakespeare Library, it, it, it's not just Shakespeareana um, there. Thankfully, there's a great deal of a treasure trove of historical resources it just so happens that they have the published minute books of the Council of Stratford-upon-Avon for the 16th century. And I thought, what could potentially be found in the minute books uh, for the town in which Shakespeare grew up? Not thinking that I'd find anything that would potentially say, alarm bells, look at this. Clearly, there was a big weather event in, in Stratford. I'd read about fires. We'll talk about them in a moment in uh, later years. But then I came upon this, this very detailed account of this flood in 1588 in the, the minute books. Then there are years of repair works that the council then has to pay for uh, in the wake of it. What kind of damage was done to the town physically from the floodwater? Well, I could... Um, Give you a brief summary. Um, at the very least, I can mention that the main bridge into town, which has been since rebuilt, and the, the rebuilt one now stands. It's the one that goes over the the, the Avon River and, and allows you to go off to the the, the north eastern side of the town. That was was cut in half and swept away. It's a very detailed graphic account of, of what happened during the flood when it happened. But there was significant damage to other parts of the township. It's probably best if I actually read some of the description of the event from the minute books. Oh, that would be fabulous. So, yes, please. Yeah. So it refers to it being on the, the 18th of July, I know, Domini, 1588. In the morning, it says there happened about eight of the clock in Avon, such a sudden flood as carried away all the hay about. So all the, the hay that was in the, the fields around it, uh, in the bales and so on, which was taken away for a start. It's interesting that the, this is the first thing they mention in the, the documentation of the account. The hay's gone. <laughs> what are we going to do without the hay? <laughs> and did much harm, it says. It was higher than ever it was known by a yard and a half and something more. So a whole yard and a half, which is, is a metre and a half in sort of modern metric, which is about the size of a, a just below average human height in a sense. 1.6 metres, should we say, something like that. Old Father Porter, buried about four years past, then being 109 years of age, there's a guy there who's 109 years of age, never knew it so high by a yard and a half. They keep saying a yard and a half. They want to reinforce just how high this flood is above anything they've ever seen. So it's not just a yard and a half above the height of the river at its normal level. It's a yard and a half above the height of the highest flood they'd ever known. So if you get your, your standard Stratford flood, and we've had a few in the last 30 years to be able to compare it to, add a yard and a half to that, I'd imagine you'd get a kind of clear sense of where how high up the water went. The dirty duck might have been dry, but uh, <laughs> other parts of the, the town certainly went under. The, the RSC would have been a, a goner. So it says, um, I'll move further down to some of the damage. 
John Penn's wife, then Millard, was so amazed that she sat still till she was almost drowned and was well nigh besides herself and so far amiss she did not know her own child when it was brought unto her. The flood, it break down Grange Mill, the crack thereof was heard at Holditch. It break up sundry houses in Warwick Town and carried away their bread, beef, cheese, butter, pots, pans and provisions. It took away 10 carts out of town and three wains with the furniture of Sir Thomas Lucy's. Sir Thomas Lucy features in this account. It broke both ends of Stratford Bridge. That's the bit that I was referring to. It drowned three furlongs of corn in Welford Field. It was so high at the height that it unthatched the mill. So it took the roof off the mill and so on. Significant damage. So it was a major, major event for, yep. for this young life and, and a newlywed at that for Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. When we tell Shakespeare's story, we often say that he made it big in London with the implication there being that he came from a small town that might have been rather insignificant compared to the big city. However, in your research into Stratford-upon-Avon, Laurie, did you find that Shakespeare's hometown was also a major touring destination for the 16th century? Uh, It certainly was, actually, and it was growing in importance uh, just in the lead up to this event. So in the 1570s, we get a sprinkling of visits to the town by some of the major companies, including the Queen's players, as they were at the time, and the Earl of Leicester's men, who we talked about in another episode. And these are major companies. These are not just small, touring, travelling, wandering minstrels, so to speak. These are major companies of royalty and nobility deciding that they're going to stop in at Stratford-upon-Avon to put on a performance for the town mayor and then for the town. And we have records in the town accounts of what we would call now a command performance, the performance they put on for the town brethren or the mayor, uh, who then certifies their quality and then they're allowed to perform for the township. And this happens throughout the 70s. And then in the 80s, it ramps up. So we begin with about half a dozen references in in the 1570s. But in the 1580s, we then get another 19 references to major players Five of them, in fact, in 1587, including the Queen's men and Leicester's men in that year. So absolutely, it's a significant destination all of a sudden. This may be to do with its proximity to Coventry and indeed to Kenilworth. So I think it's proximity that counts here rather than the town itself being necessarily the most attractive destination for a touring company. They certainly didn't pay anywhere near as richly as some of the major cities. but. Clearly, they were, they were not complete backwater, shall we say, but certainly playing companies of significant people found it more attractive to go to Stratford than some of the other locations around. What kind of impact to the town's economy was seen after this flood of 1588? Did its status as a popular touring destination change after so much damage? Yeah, absolutely. And it could be quite simply infrastructure that becomes the abiding factor here in determining that from 1588 to 1592, not a single playing company appears in Stratford's accounts. The accounts are definitely far more taken up with repairs and then maintenance of structures that have been repaired in the previous years. The bridge itself doesn't finally get acquitted, shall we say, in the accounts as being fully repaired, fully completed until 1591. So it takes a good three years for them to finally finish rebuilding the bridge to a standard that I think would count. That bridge from 1591, that's the one that is still there today? Notwithstanding a few subsequent additional repairs and minor works, absolutely. 
Yep. Which ought to add some weight, I think, to the devastation of the flood of 1588. Absolutely that- right. When you think about that structure now, I mean, admittedly, the one that was there before would have been a little less sturdy uh, than what's there now, but certainly it would have been an imposing structure. This is how powerful that flood was that, that, that swept that bridge away. The description of the, the, the flood, in fact, includes a reference to a group of men on horseback who try to flee the town during the flood over the bridge, then one edge of it gets swept away, and before they can then retreat back to the town, the town edge is also swept away, and they're kind of stuck, and they have to be rescued, and then the remainder gets swept away again. And on top of that, then, we also get an economic impact, absolutely, because trade in and out of the town also gets affected. If touring company travel gets affected, then also trade gets affected. There's a moment in 1588, in fact, soon after the the bridge collapsed, because this is the same weather pattern, by the way, that famously helps England route the Armada. This is that same unsettled weather pattern that produces this massive rush of rainfall that builds up and creates this flash flood event. So this is the Armada year, and we have the Earl of Warwick helping his brother, Lord Dudley, uh, the Earl of Leicester, sorry, uh, try and get up um, a significant force to help stave off the Spanish invasion or the anticipated invasion. Uh, So every town and every uh, major city are asked to provide a certain number of men, armaments and horses. And there is a letter from the justices of Warwick County to the Earl to apologise that there are some parts of the, the county that simply haven't been able to provide the level of support that's been requested. It doesn't say why. They seem almost ashamed of the reasons they can't. They say for reasons that cannot be put in writing here. Uh, And I think this is because there is this belief at the time that floods and plagues are punishment for being sinful. And so I believe they feel like they've been punished by God and as a result are incapable of providing the service that their lords have requested. Despite Stratford-upon-Avon's theatrical history, which could potentially have contributed to Shakespeare's own interest in theatre and traveling via the traveling companies that stopped there, their economic strength did decline after this flood. But when scholars talk about Stratford-upon-Avon and Shakespeare's hometown, they mention a phrase called the crisis of the 1590s that struck the town. And I have the impression that it goes beyond just this flood. Lori, what was this crisis? Was it a consequence of specific events like the flood of 1588 or something else? Usually the crisis of 1590s is referred to by historians as an attempt to understand or explain a significant economic downturn that struck a number of provincial locations in the 1590s, and it's largely to do with overpopulation. Uh, And certainly there is some evidence that the fires that happened in Stratford in 1594 and 1595 were caused by a burgeoning overpopulation. So people were not meant to build houses without tile roofs, for example. And certainly in Stratford, we get this reinforced as one of the building ordinances in the 1580s. But a significant influx of population, either through traders coming and settling there or the expansion of families already there or marriage from uh, to out of town with the, the couple deciding they would then settle in Stratford of the two locations all happens in a fairly short space of time, but there's no significant recorded evidence of an increase in the number of buildings 
So what we think is happening, um, what historians think happens, is that a number of some of the outbuildings attached to main housing structures were quickly renovated with just straw or thatching to provide adequate shelter, but not fire safe. So the overpopulation creates an economic strain, but also creates um, safety hazards. And all of these confluences of events uh, or factors contribute to what we call the crisis of 1590s. But interestingly, none of the historians I've read who write about the crisis of 1590s as it affected Stratford mention the flood. So I think something's happening in 1588 to 1594 that the flood is an impact factor for rather than it being just a phenomenon of the 1590s. It may even be causal. James Burbage's playhouse called The Theatre was constructed 12 years prior to the flood of 1588 and can reasonably serve as a marker for the rise in dedicated playhouses for theatre performance. How much of Stratford-upon-Avon's fall from grace in terms of being a destination point for traveling theatre companies can be attributed to fire and flood versus simply being a victim of this disruptive innovation happening in London with the establishment of The Theatre and The Globe? The funny thing is, in addition to the Earl of Leicester's men becoming a significant touring company in the 1580s again after a bit of a lull uh, in the 1570s and early 1580s that can be attributed to, I think, the the, the, um, advent of the theatre and then the curtain uh, and then other venues around London. Uh, And even before that, the Red Lion, for example, had a mile in, which I think also Leicester's men probably had a hand in. The evidence for touring remains remarkably strong well into the 1580s and then certainly in the 1590s. So I think what happens is that we get a the playhouses generate activity rather than closing it off, rather than containing a, a, all the activity around dramatic entertainments into just a few locations. I think the cultural moment that they're an expression of also extended to increases in activity. The number of playing companies starts massively increasing as more and more nobles and barons decide they want a playing company too. Uh, And we get then the the historical record becoming alive in the late 70s and early 80s with more and more companies hitting the road and touring the provinces. The flood of 1588 coincides pretty coincidentally with when we think Shakespeare first made his way to London to become a playwright. Laurie, did this flood play a role in Shakespeare leaving town? My sense is that it must have, but it's a sense. It's one of those things where if we just take what we know about Shakespeare's lost years and add the flood into it, it becomes at the very least a factor, even if it's not a direct cause. My sense is, though, that the smoking gun here is the absence of playing companies from 1588 onwards in Stratford. Surely up by by the age of 24, Shakespeare has become very familiar with many of the playing companies that come through Stratford. In fact, it's a longstanding theory that a number of scholars uh, tie themselves to is that Shakespeare actually already had left with one of the playing companies that came through. Uh, Leicester's Men is one of the favourites for that. Uh, Queen's Men also becomes a favourite. But there are a couple of others that had visited, like Worcester's Men, that other people like to think Shakespeare probably joined that company and took off with them. The trouble is we don't really have evidence of playing companies enlisting people on the road. 
a playing company itinerary was was traditionally a fairly rigorous and tightly controlled exercise. You had to know how many people were going to be with you when you left and how many people were then going to be with you when you returned. You needed to know how many costumes you needed to have with you. You needed to know how many um, cue parts you needed, etc. So all the resources that go into making a tour work hinged on a very clear sense of the number of personnel on the tour. So to me, the, the recruiting on the fly doesn't really quite work, except when you do have someone dying on the road. And certainly that this does famously happen to Queensmen in 1587 with William Nell being killed in a, um, a duel um, or fight. That's why Queensmen is one of the popular candidates. But it seems interesting to me that, that, that we need that to be the reason why Shakespeare left and when he left. My gut feeling is that the gap created by the flood causing playing companies to simply stop coming to Stratford would also be a, a causal factor or could be a causal factor to make a, a man who was so interested in the theatre to want to up stumps and go to where the playing still was rather than to wait for more players to come to, to him, which would why 1588 would work so nicely. Somewhere in 88 to 89, I reckon, off he went, yep. Well, it sounds like a lot of the research that you're doing is the best and one of the few places to find out more about the flood of 1588. But do you have some research sources you can recommend we use to explore further? Well, certainly the um, town records themselves. If anyone can get themselves to the Folger Shakespeare Library, certainly to, to, to have a good look at the accounts themselves. But certainly there are other places where you can get access to these accounts both in their original form and in their transcribed form as, as in the um, published versions in Stratford. But, of course, that's just for the, the particular flood of 1588. For other resources pertaining to flooding and weather, um, there is a great resource, a summary resource called uh, WeatherWeb, which summarises a great deal of the research that had been done in the 1960s and 1970s by some of the great climatologists um, when that particular discipline was, was first developing. Um, Hubert Lamb and Jay Brazel, for example, are two key figures that whose documentation is contained and summarised in WeatherWeb. There are also some great accounts at the time, by the way. We, we have a number of published calendars and almanacs from the, the era itself, which are some of the documents that I'm using in my own research to try and determine what was happening and when. Those are great resources. And for those of you that are worried about needing to travel to the Folger in a time when travel is a little bit iffy, Lori was gracious enough to provide us a direct link to Shakespeare Documented is the digital platform for Folger Shakespeare Library. And several of these minutes and accounts from Stratford-upon-Avon are visible digitally. So we'll make sure to link to those in the show notes so you can see those. And they're just incredible to get to see these slices of history. So I hope you'll check out the show notes to find those as well as links to the other resources Lori mentions today. Now, Laurie, as you know, you are building up quite a library with us here on your, <laughs> your desert island, but we do ask everyone this next question here at That Shakespeare Life, and that's, what's the one book you would take with you on a deserted island? My friends in England tell me I'm supposed to allow you the complete works of Shakespeare and a copy of the Bible, so your choice would be in addition to those. Uh, thanks, Cassidy, and yes, and as this is not my first time, I do have, a, as you say, a, a little backlog of, of preferred desert island readings. I'm going to offered a take with me on this particular occasion, a novel that changed my way of thinking about literature. It's Jean Reese's Wide Sargasso Sea, which is a Caribbean 
rewriting of the tale of um, Bertha or Antoinette, the character from Jane Eyre, who Rochester has married and keeps in the attic, the old mad woman in the attic, uh, who we rarely hear anything much about in the novel itself, but who becomes a pivotal character in the catastrophe that that befalls the leading characters of, of um, Bronte's novel. What Reese does is to retell the story from that character's perspective, from Rochester's time in the Caribbean when he marries her and then, as Rochester does, completely tries to control her life and, and ruin her chances of success and, and um, breaks her connections with her family and culture and takes her back to England and so on. It's a fantastic novel and it's That's beautifully written. fascinating. And I can't decide if I want to read it or not because Jane Eyre is probably one of my top three favorite books. And I've always seen the woman in the attic as kind of a villain. And I'm, I'm terribly afraid if I, if I read this, I'm going to sympathize with her now. And what will I do? So we'll, we'll link to this in the show notes for today as well. Then you can make your own decisions about whether or not you want to dive into that adventure. It certainly sounds exciting. So what's next for you, Laurie? What are you working on now that you're excited about? Well, I am in the process of continuing with the Earl of Leicester's Men, uh, a book that I hope to be finished with relatively soon. And um, then it will be back into the climate project. There's a lot of uh, work yet to be finished in terms of, I think one of the things we can do is possibly set up a storehouse of uh, connections and um, to primary data, uh, the proxy records that tell us more and more about what the uh, climate and weather of the time was doing, along with trying to more closely map shifts in the weather to shifts in the playhouse industry to try and see if there is, if not a direct causal relation, at least an influence of one on the other. Um, to say that uh, a great cultural change like the rise of the playhouse industry doesn't happen in a void, that there is an environment in which it takes place partly economic, partly political, but I would argue partly climate affected as well. This sounds like really fun research on the horizon for you. Best luck on your finishing of your book. I know that is a huge project, getting all that research together, and we'll look forward to seeing both of these projects come to fruition. Thank you so much, Lori, for being here and talking us through the history of the flood of Stratford-upon-Avon in 1588. This has been a fun conversation. Thanks, Cassidy. To find resources for today's episode, including links to the books and recommendations from Lori, along with pictures, images, and bonus history about our topic today, and to leave a comment and tell us what you think about today's episode, or to ask a question for something we may not have answered for you on the show today, let us know about it in the comments section of the show notes. Find all these things at CassidyCash.com slash EP186. That's CassidyCash.com slash EP186. If you like the history you're learning about here on the show and you want to go even further into the life of William Shakespeare with documentaries, animated plays, and bonus history episodes straight from the life of William Shakespeare, then consider becoming a member here at That Shakespeare Life. Members get unlimited access to our entire video streaming library full of video versions of our podcast, documentaries, award-winning animated plays, and so much more, all of which you can stream on your desktop, tablet, or phone, and there are no commercials. Explore all the benefits of being a member and sign up today at CassidyCash.com slash member. That's CassidyCash.com slash member. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. I'm Cassidy Cash, and I hope you learn something new about the Bard. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to That Shakespeare Life. 
As always, the best conversations happen after the episode over at CassidyCash.com. Become a part of a vibrant Shakespeare conversation by adding your voice over at the website. Until next time, remember, when you want to know William Shakespeare, you have to go behind the curtain and into that Shakespeare life.